0: Nelson started as one of those Montanans, you may have heard the name, but if you're like me, many, many years ago, you didn't know exactly who this guy was and exactly what it is he did. He was one of those Western capitalists who happened to choose Montana as his home, but he was extremely successful because he diversified so many interests. He was involved in numerous activities. This is what successful men, businessmen, in the 19th century throughout the American West did. Leland Stanford, that's a familiar name. He was involved in mercantilism, mining, railroads in California. You can look at John Creighton in Nebraska, same story. You can look at John Eliff in Northern Colorado, mercantilism, cattle herds. Up in Montana, You can go with Charles Broadwater. You can go with Samuel Hauser, the Power Brothers, and the Baker Brothers up in Fort Benton. Nelson Story was one of those people who amassed a fortune because of his diversification. He was involved in gold mining, cattle ranching, milling and flour, agriculture, banking, real estate interests, You name it, he had a hand in it. He came from Ohio. When he left Ohio in 1858, he really didn't have his sights set on Montana. He was hoping to uh, earn some good money in the Fort Leavenworth area and maybe buy some land there. This was during the Kansas-Nebraska Act, when a lot of northerners were being recruited to Kansas to help keep it a free state. While in Kansas, setting fence posts and cutting shrubs and basic labor menial jobs, he meets Ellen Trent. And they marry, we think, it may very well have been a common law marriage. And they end up going to Denver right after the start of the Pikes Peak Gold Rush. He starts a mercantile store there. They're not there very long before they hear about another Gold strike, this up in Bannock, in what was then Idaho Territory. They come up to Bannock, long trip. They get there, nobody's in Bannock. Alan looks at him and says, This is what you brought us all the way for? There's nobody here. There's nothing. That's because of Virginia City. That's because of Alder Gulch. The strike had been found over there. Story immediately, they move over to Alder Gulch. And over the course of a couple of years, many of that time spent in the little community of Summit, Nelson's story starts to amass a pretty good fortune in gold. He was one of the vigilantes. He didn't spend a lot of time with them. He is credited with being one of the two guys who kicked the box, pulled the box out from underneath George Ives, the first purported road agent to be hung. Story had a mercantile store when he wasn't with the Vigilantes in Summit and pretty soon as gold strikes were made up by Helena, Last Chance, Gulch, etc., still the mining camp of Virginia City a rather rough place, Story decides that the new community of Bozeman, founded back to the east in the Gallatin Valley by John Maron Bozeman, as an agricultural center to grow foodstuffs to feed the miners, Nelson story decides this would be a better place to be. So, in order to set himself up, he wants to have a mercantile store there. He also comes across another idea. This in 1866, Civil War had just ended. While the war was going on in Texas, Longhorn Cattle had just the population had just boomed because so many Texans were off fighting in the Civil War. You could get a steer in Texas, a Longhorn steer, for five, maybe 10 bucks. If you got it all the way to Chicago, it was worth $40. So you can kind of get a feeling there for how we got the cattle drive era in the American West. Story, what he wanted to do, what he decided to do, was to go down to Texas and get a herd of Longhorn and bring them up to the Yellowstone Valley and start off with a cattle ranch. Now this is probably one aspect of Nelson's story that you've heard about, the cattle drive. It's the one aspect of him that you'll find in many history books the and history articles. The thing about the cattle drive is in some places, you'll see it mentioned that he had a herd of 3,000. Don't buy that magazine and don't buy that book, because that's not true. The other two numbers you'll see, he had 600 head that he brought up. Elsewhere, you'll see 1,000 head. So which one is it? Here's a politician's answer for you, both. He started out out of Fort Worth with 600. Because of a roadblock near Baxter Springs, Kansas, set up by Kansas Jayhawkers to try and collect bounties on cattle under the excuse they were bringing tech fever into Kansas, he was able—excuse <coughs> me—he was able to acquire more cattle to the point where he had a thousand head. Made his way up to Fort Leavenworth, Fort Leavenworth, Oregon Trail, Fort Laramie, up through the Bozeman Trail, up on the Bozeman Trail at the height of Red Cloud's War. He made it through. He was the first to bring Texas cattle into Montana. He was not necessarily uh, the first to bring cattle into uh, the territory. Uh, Once he had completed the cattle drive, he did indeed set himself up in Bozeman, opened his mercantile store. So you can see already he's been a gold miner with success. A cattleman, he's got a big herd of Longhorns in the Yellowstone Valley. He's got a mercantile store in Bozeman. Fort C.F. Smith, another forts getting ready to close on the Bozeman Trail, Nelson Story. Because of the wagons he had on the cattle drive, he is able to have his own teamster organization, his own wagon train. He goes down to Fort C.F. Smith, the army's trying to get rid of all the things that they can. He buys like, for example, Dutch ovens at maybe one or two bucks a piece. He buys nails, he buys all, you name, whatever hardware you can think of, he bought it there. Went through Sioux country, back to Bozeman and then back to Helena, he gets to Helena, he's able to sell those Dutch ovens for a hundred bucks and the nails and other items in proportion. He was very gutsy, very determined, and he made a lot of money. As a matter of fact, the, the, the soldiers at the forts, when they would see these guys come in uh, to wheel and deal with the army, they used to call him Commodore, like Commodore story. But then when they realized how much profit he was making, he became that old pirate story, uh, at least at Fort C.F. Smith. John Bozeman, it was mentioned before, and you probably heard that particular tale. Some historians think John Bozeman was killed by Blackfoot Mountain Chief and his two sons. The bigger theory is he was killed by a jealous husband. John Bozeman was a handsome guy. He was a southerner in a pro-Union, pro-Lincoln town, Bozeman. And the guy purportedly who killed him, Tom Cover, thought he was paying too much attention to Mary Cover. We'll never, ever know 100%. But it does fall under the heading, if it, if it isn't true, it ought to be, because it makes damn good theater, you know? <laughs> a lot of people thought Nelson Story was behind that death. I don't think he was. They think Nelson Story set it up because he saw John Bozeman as a rival. I don't buy it because John Bozeman really was not much of a rival to Nelson Story's business interests. He divested himself, Bozeman did, of many of his interests. He was willing to uh, spend the afternoons playing cards and sipping whiskey rather than being anywhere near uh, industrious. Another man who came to Bozeman in the 1860s was one Leander Black, a Kentuckian. Who made a lot of money with government contracts, freighting goods and supplies and troops during the Civil War in Kansas and Colorado? He teams up with Nelson Story to contract with the Crow Reservation. The Crow Agency at this time was located over by Livingston. The Crow Reservation was everything south of the Yellowstone River, north of the boundary with Wyoming. That includes the Paradise Valley. They had all that land. He gets into this with with uh, Leander Black, and that's where a lot of the shenanigans that are behind Nelson's story begins, because in many aspects of the contracts, he filled with the United States government. He was shortchanging the government. Sometimes he was being paid twice for the same goods. This was all with the complicity of the agent at the time. Uh, one man who worked at the Crow Agency, when they looked at a temporary relocation, he was positive Nelson's story took goods that had already been sold to the agency from the warehouse in order to sell them back to the agency a second time. Again, with the complicity of the agent. It's a rather ugly chapter in the history of the American West. uh, The contracts with uh, American Indians and the corruption that went along with them. One uh, guy who worked for Story told uh, a tale of once when he um, he took a load of oats from Bozeman over to the agency, and it rained. The oats got wet. Well, that increased the weight. Because whenever you brought goods in, you had them weighed. So they weighed more than they were expected. The agent decides to keep them. He gets an extra $90, asks story, what should I do with it? You want to split it? The story just laughs and says, no, you go ahead and keep it. Uh, That's just one minor example. Um, Cattle on the reservation, he would run his cattle with agency cattle and then split them up and keep some of the agency cattle, turn around and sell them back. He was put on, tr- well, went before a grand jury, all right, in the early 1870s to investigate this corruption, to investigate these shenanigans at the Crow Agency. And the jury, the attorney for the government, decided to dismiss the case for lack of sufficient evidence. Nelson's story bragged for a long time that it took him $10,000 in bribes to the jury in order for him to get away with it. A couple of years later, he goes back under another trial, similar situation, in Virginia City. The jury says, we don't have enough evidence to convict him or to take him to trial, which infuriated the judge at the time. Um, Yeah, like I said, that's one of the uglier chapters in the history of the American West, and Nelson's story profited to a great extent off of those contracts. He could be shady. A lot of the businessmen, business people in those days could be very shady because the long reach of the law didn't reach very far into what was then Montana Territory. Uh, Major James Sanks, Brisbane, who was a commander at Fort Ellis, Uh, he thought that Nelson Story and Dexter Clapp, one of the first agents at the agency, should be arrested and shot to death by musketry. Quoting him, he says it would be no more than such men deserve. There were inquiries in Washington, D.C. about all of this, and again, Story was able to wiggle off the hook. He was never charged, never by any means uh, convicted. After all of that settled down, he got into banking. He also was able to act as middlemen with the farmers in the Gallatin Valley, between them and the agency and Fort Ellis. He was kind of, like I say, he was the middle guy, so he profited there. Then he gets into banking, runs a banking house of Story and Wilson, this along with uh, uh, Lester Wilson. As the Crow Reservation has shrunk through the years, Nelson Story is able to move his cattle herd further east into the Yellowstone Valley. This is the day of the open range. It was great for cattle. Imagine all that free land, you don't pay a lease on it, you don't own it. It's got all this grass that has fed buffalo for centuries. It was just perfect. So he and a lot of others during that open range era did quite well, thank you very much. In um, <coughs> ranching, one of the obsessions of early Bozeman, and he was part of the promotional effort for this, was to get the railroad, the northern Pacific, into Montana he was one of those who worked extremely hard the railroad was slowed down in 1873 1874 financial panic jay cook the builder of the railroad uh went broke installed at bismarck and stayed there for several years before they could get the financing again to bring the railroad back eventually 1883 they get the railroad on into montana follows the yellowstone river to Bozeman, Helena, so forth and so on. And a couple of months later, Jay Cook decides to bring out a special group of celebrities, well-known people, for the Golden Spike ceremony that was held near here at Gold Creek. And among those in that group is the former president, Ulysses S. Grant. And you probably know in the Grant administration, his administration was rocked terribly by scandals with the Indian Department. His Secretary of War, William Belknap, and his wife were getting kickbacks by seeing to it certain uh, settlers, certain traders got the contracts for various Indian tribes. And they pulled some of the same shenanigans Story: The train gets to Bozeman, they make a stop. Ulysses S. Grant gets off, decides he wants a tour of the city, so who gets to take him around town? Nelson's story. The irony there to me is just really, really fascinating. Here's a guy that made a lot of money (laughs) profiting from that Indian trade, taking Ulysses Grant, whose, whose administration was partially wrecked by that very system through a town that was built by that money. You may ask yourself, well, Didn't people in Bozeman kind of put up a stink about this? As long as the money trickled into town, as long as everybody got to dip their bill, as long as everybody got a piece of the action, a piece of the pie of that federal money, and as long as the Indians stayed on the reservation, they could live with it. A lot of them knew what Nelson's story was up to, not everybody. Was necessarily his fan, but you could argue those who really thought, uh, who who knew also what he was up to, uh, they too were directly or indirectly uh, profiting. Um, In the mid 1880s, he has built up his wealth. He's a millionaire, he's been a millionaire for years, he has a family, he has three boys and one daughter, of course his wife, Ellen. Um, <clears throat> decides to build a mansion. You know, all the other western barons uh, anywhere in the American West all had a special mansion. He decides to do the same. He built it with stone from around the country, different cuts of stone, uh, marble pillars, just a tremendous, tremendous residence that it builds on a brick. The bricks were dipped in stale beer to preserve their color. Now, what it is about stale beer that preserves color, I don't know. But it makes it, for a while, it had me worried about what I consumed when I was in college. But, you know, I'm still standing, so I guess it's all right. It was considered, his was considered the finest mansion along the NP Railway between. The Twin Cities in Seattle. In fairness, there wasn't a heck of a lot between the Twin Cities and Seattle. But nonetheless, still a uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful house. He was among the first snowbirds from Montana. A lot of the wealthy people in Montana began that tradition. And they went to California. They went to the Los Angeles area. The Story family had a mansion in the Adams District of Los Angeles, their winter home. That's near the USC campus today, kind of near a rough neighborhood today, but back in the late 19th century, uh, it was really set aside for the Blue Bloods. So they were among the uh, first, like I say, snowbirds. He invests in Los Angeles real estate. The city itself is just getting going. He buys lots in kind of a checkered fashion along Broadway and Spring Streets in Los Angeles. Uh, A lot of people thought he was paying too much for the property. Uh, He was able to buy these lots because he had sold his cattle herd in Montana um, for over $300,000 when he got out of the cattle business. So he had a lot of money to invest. Time would prove all of them to be very, very wealthy, very, very clever, smart investments. As a matter of fact, one of the lots on 6th and Broadway, one of the first skyscrapers that was built there, he built with his son, Walter. It's still standing. It's still used. It's the Walter P. Story Building in downtown Los Angeles. So... His son Walter uh, did quite well, very well, thanks to his dad, thanks to these investments. Both of his sons and his daughter, they had pretty much, as far as education is concerned, and just about anything they wanted, they really, uh, they had it all. Uh, Like I said, with education, and uh, as well as material goods, especially his daughter, Rose. Uh, when they started out their marriage, they lost three daughters uh, when they were children. So Rose was one, the one surviving girl. They kind of doted on her, and, and eventually uh, it, it showed it. 1889, Bozeman tries to become the state capital. It throws its hat in the ring, just like a bunch of other cities do uh, to compete against Helena. The promotional campaign, Nelson's story is part of it. Bozeman doesn't get the state capital consolation prize they give Bozeman the agricultural college. That today is Montana State University. Nelson Story gave that project money and land to help assure that it had a good footing in Bozeman. He became a silver Republican because he had a flowering mill in Bozeman. It was to his interest that farmers Uh, who were clamoring for a return to the 16 to 1 gold to silver ratio. It was important to him that that became fact because it would free up the money supply, make it easier on the farmers and ranchers, make it easier, therefore, to buy their goods for processing at the mill. And Bozeman was one of those towns where William Jennings Bryan made a visit in the late uh, 19th century and Nelson Story became pretty good friends with William Jennings Bryan. He even took a stab, uh, he he served as a city alderman in Bozeman, and then in 1894 he took a chance at running for the U.S. Senate. That was back in the days when the state senate chose your senators. Newspapers remind, some newspapers reminded everybody of the infamous days of the Indian ring, as they called it, when Nelson Story and these other guys were making these profits off the Indian agency. So he had some newspapers against him. He didn't really give it a hard effort. As you know, he did not win the race for state senator. They selected two that year, and it went to Lee Mantle and also to Thomas Carter. In Bozeman, he could be something of a bully. He could, uh, he had the flouring mill. It ran on water power. You keep your hands off his miner's inches from the various creeks in Bozeman. Uh, he would come in and sometimes build offshoots from the creeks to Mill Creek, send it over to the mill in order to power the mill. Some farmers would complain that he was taking some of their water, that he was taking some of their water. Uh, sometimes it ended up in gunfights, shootouts. Uh, one rival he really had was Joe Lindley. When Story re-routed Bozeman Creek off Joe Lindley's property, that started a long rivalry between the two. Uh, there was one time on the street he bumped into Lindley, words were... Exchanged and Story pulled out his navy colt and with the butt of his pistol, whacked Joe Lindley right between the eyes. He used to call it his navy colt. From that day forward, that pistol was known as his old Lindley Iser. When he was president of the bank, the panic of 1893 came along. He was ready to leave to Los Angeles. He told the board of directors. If anybody wants to buy the bank's bonds, hang on to them until I get back. I want first crack at them. He leaves town. He's in California in the winter. The bank's board decides to sell the bonds to somebody else because if Nelson Story bought them, they're not going to realize in that game. Story's just going to move the money from one account to the other. Story comes back, hears about it, closes the bank because he's so angry about it. What the... <clears throat> One of the directors, a Dr. Henry Foster, is overheard saying, somebody ought to take that Nelson Story out and hang him. Well, that was hyperbole. But Story heard about it, confronted Dr. Foster, beat the heck out of him with his walking, with his hickory cane. Foster threatened a lawsuit. Nelson Story gave Foster 25 grand to forget the whole thing, and Henry Foster takes that and builds Bozeman's First Hospital. That's how we got Bozeman got its first hospital. Nelson's story died in 1926. It was a very colorful life. He was, in many, many ways, a very generous man. He was, in many, many ways, a crooked man. I always thought a good title for the book would have been Nelson's story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But that title had already been taken. But he was a very good example going back to what I talked about in the beginning of a Western capitalist. The Gilded Age was not limited to your Rockefellers, to your Carnegies, to your JP Morgans, to your Vanderbilts. It also occurred out West. The really successful ones had shenanigans behind them, but they diversified well. Story did very, very well. Indirectly helping the town of Bozeman because He was so well-diversified, smart businessman, and one you didn't want to double-cross. Thank you.